Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. It's Friday, so you know it's Friendly Friday. We're going to be bringing on Steve Friend in a short period of time here, our buddy who is the fellow for the Center for Renewing America. And we're going to be talking about the geriocracy. What is a geriocracy? Geriatrics is the science of uh, the health of old people, (laughs) most callously stated as I could do it as a younger person, somewhat younger, I guess. And we're going to get into the fact that maybe we are being ruled by the oldest, rule of the aged. It used to be that there was a uh, a rule of ages. I think now we are we are dealing with something where the maybe the least fit are the ones that are in charge. And that's not going to surprise any of you. But there is an interesting trend there. And I think Americans should know about who it is that they are electing. Uh, before we get into bringing Steve on, I want to say thank you to our sponsors. Most specifically, I want to say thanks to Catholic Vote. Check this out. Got my... Catholic Vote mug sitting right next to me. They sent me a couple of these for when we do interviews in person, and we're really grateful. Check out the loop. This is the loop cast right here. This is their email chain. You can uh, pull that sucker up. Very easy for you to get on board with it. They've got some great articles in there today. I went and looked at them. In fact, it would have made for a great show. They're talking about Tommy Tuberville holding the line. They're talking about the FBI producing some documentation uh, to the Weaponization Committee and Jim Jordan. Actually, I think they're doing it specifically to the Judiciary Committee, so the broader committee about uh, going after Catholics in the Richmond division. Apparently, there's been a production of like 266 pages of evidence from the FBI uh, under subpoena. So that's fantastic news. A couple other things about uh, school boards going on in Virginia and so on. So check out The Loop. Just enter in your email and your zip code. Sign up for that thing. They just crossed the the barrier of 500,000 subscribers. And uh, while you're doing that, you can make sure that you're subscribed to our channel. If you're not subscribed on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening to the audio podcast, then make sure you are also subscribed to rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin, where the live video goes out on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, We'll also say thanks to Patriot Coolers real quick. Let me bring them up here. You all know them. I've got my cooler right next to me. i got my tumbler sitting next to me. It goes out and I abuse it in the garage gym every morning. Use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. Promo code Kyle gets you 10% off. There's free shipping over 50 bucks. And as you can see here, they've given back. If you're watching on the Rumble channel, you're seeing that their donation um, has topped $370,000. I'm sure that that needs to be updated soon because they continue to to make those donations. Um, They're helping veterans who need mobility issues in their homes. And uh, I carry one right here sitting right next to me. This one has my smoothie in it because my wife doesn't like it. If I don't have some calories in the morning, I get grouchy. That's how it goes. I got you guys in the chat that are uh, giving me a hard time because I haven't sent Ryan one of these. It's pending. We'll work on it. I just I keep forgetting. And Ryan doesn't bother me during the day about it. It only happens right before the show that I think, hmm, Ryan needs a Patriot Cooler too. Again, promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. Promo code Kyle gets you 10% off. Spend 50 bucks. You get free shipping. Easy stuff. Uh, let's let's kick this thing off. Ryan is not going to be talking during the show because right now he is living in a construction zone. Every time he brings it up, you can hear the uh, the backing of heavy vehicles and jackhammers. So we're going to bring on the real Steve friend, our friend, author, former FBI agent, suspendable, and uh, Center for Renewing America fellow. Let's get that muted, that mic unmuted. And if you're not looking on the Rumble channel, what you are missing is that there's the butt end of a scorpion that Steve friend is wearing on a shirt. Steve, are you muted? Or are you are you bringing it no, to me? No, I'm good, man. Here there you are. are. That was a silent laugh. That was like a like a like an internal chuckle. I just saw then. 
I, I mean, I'm trying to be professional. I'm letting you uh, run the show here on the <laughs> Kyle Serafin show. If it said the real Steve Friend show, then I would just let her rip. And you would be having your mom write all the ghost written um, reviews. Exactly. I mean, that, that's my my plan. I just fumbled out this morning. I'm going to have her write some five star reviews and uh, compliment me on my scorpion shirts, and then uh, pump us up for the weekend, which I'm extremely excited for. How Sunday is, your... is National Whistleblower Day, right? So we need to uh, commemorate that with some sort of uh, suspendables merch or flag or something like that, that maybe the FBI can fly proudly outside all of its facilities for the month of July, for the well, remaining couple of days. We are going to uh, be doing a little whistleblower celebration, which is a, a clip that I grabbed from Tom Elliott. And if those of you watch uh, Dan Bongino's show, then you'll recognize this clip. We're actually going to play the full thing. I'll break it up since it uh, more or less deals with both of us. Before we got on the show here, we were talking about vinegaroons. You've never seen a vinegaroon, is that correct? No, this is a foreign creature to me. It sounds like something that belongs in a monster movie. All right, folks. So it's Friendly Friday. We can go a little bit off topic for a second here. If you've never been to the the brilliant, the beautiful state of New Mexico, known as the land of enchantment, but some of us know it as the land of entrapment, especially if you're a young man that moves there, you're likely to come out with like a female attached to you. Just saying that was that was the briefing I got when I was in the Air Force. So they have these monsters. Uh, my, my wife and I used to actually call it monster season in April. Do you have monster season in Florida? I, I don't think you do. Yeah, it's called hurricane season. Okay, those are different. Yeah, that's winds. Monsters winds. I'm talking about critters. And so you would walk outside and there'd be like a you know tarantula the size of your palm just walking around. I once saw a tarantula up in my belfry because we had like this big entryway. You'd walk in and it was like, you know, 25 feet up. And it looked like the tarantula was humping something, but it was eating a bat. A small bat, like the size of, you know, like uh, bigger than a golf ball, but smaller than a tennis ball. It mm -hmm. ate the whole bat over a period of a day. Did you point that out to your children? That, yeah, That, that was course. a circle of life and they don't have to watch Lion King now? Well, we all watched it. Uh, it was horrifying and interesting at the same time. And it was 15 feet above our head. So we were worried about the bat falling down when it was dead. But it ate the whole freaking bat. And so we would have these monsters pop up. There'd be bats, obviously, big bats and small bats. There were tarantulas. They were scorpions, which are pretty standard. Those are in your shoes or they're running around on the wall and or they're in the pantry, like hanging out, trying to blend into the floor. And then there are these things called vinegaroons. Vinegaroons are like a hybrid of a man, like like a lobster or a crawdad, a a crab, like a land crab, a spider and a scorpion all mixed together in a blender and like God's nastiest, you know, nightmares when he just was bored and was like, what if I gave huge arms with these crazy claws to this spidery looking scorpion thing, but we took off the tail and we put a whip on there that spits out acid. That's a vinegaroon. Wow. And is this like dangerous to like small children? Can they die or just like a bee sting? It doesn't even bother them. Like the acid is actually, it smells like vinegar, which is why they're named the way they are. Okay. Um, and they just run around and spit out this little acid. Now Ryan's messing with us. Rumble Rick says, uh, send Matt a cup. Send him a mug. We'll, we'll get him one. We'll get him there. I just, I got to put together a package. Um, one thing that people don't know about me, do you, do you have any weird uh, sort of like mental blocks that somebody asks you to do it, no matter how many times they ask you, you can't do it? Is there anything in your life? Like yeah, I remember I, had, I still had this ongoing thing uh, when I was a kid. My, my mom, every morning I came out and I would just always forget to open the blinds in the kitchen mm -hmm. and used to make her so mad. She would say, I want natural light being in here. And I always just used to say like, well... I'm the only one here and I don't want natural light. So it just doesn't occur to me to open the blinds. And she would yell at me every single morning that I hadn't opened the blinds. There's like a mental block there. You just can't do it. 
eventually just got to the point where I enjoyed making her upset in the morning. So I have that with mailing packages or letters. I don't want to ever go to the mailbox ever. I don't know why. Maybe it was because I was broke at one point when I was in college and it was just a bad day if I opened up anything in the mailbox and like final I can put notice, a, I can write things out, although I don't like to, I can put an address on things. I can put a stamp on them, but getting it from wherever I am to the mailbox or to a, you know, to a package shipment, it's like, I have a strong block there. It, it's really, really like, it's uh, it's debilitating. It's like a phobia. It's, it's, it's a weird, I mean, we all kind of have these weird bugaboos where people are just odd in general. I mean, just, it's a good thing that you're married. Cause obviously like you probably wouldn't, my wife loves stamps. She loves stamps. She loves like she'll pay bills that we don't even owe money on. Like if you send her a bill, she's paying it. And then I'm, yeah. I'm looking around, going like, why did we pay that twice? Oh, because they sent it to us in the mail, and I already paid it online. Um, that's that's yeah, we're, we're complimentary, men and women. Turns out, um, and and just our friends, we all kind of compliment each other. You talk about weird bugaboos. You've got some bugaboos that are going on right now. You see that pivot? That was professional. Oh, that was professional broadcasting, sir. Let's uh, let's talk about this uh, topic number one that we pulled on here. This is your most recent article in the Federalist. I don't know if I told you we were going to talk about it, but I'd like you to to discuss it. Um, yeah, well, well, let's do the first one first, which is that you, this article you wrote in April about the top ten systemic issues. You're you're doing videos, video two drop, like just rock and roll with that, if you would. Yeah, so we filmed uh, many videos for each one of these top 10 systemic issues. It's all derivative from this policy paper that we wrote for Center for Renewing America. Or uh, Number two was this week, and it dealt with this growing, creeping national security branch issue that we find within the FBI, where it's something that you've talked about after 9-11, how mission creep set in when the military was using counterinsurgency to confront enemies abroad, and the FBI had this domestic responsibility to sort of be the sentry on the wall but there was just not a lot to do. So they started to look for homegrown violent extremists. And that's when you started getting into the Liberty City 7, the entrapment of some Muslim Americans that's still ongoing. But obviously that that is not as fruitful as they want it to be to justify the existence of the national security branch and its funding. So now it's focusing on the domestic violent extremism as they label it. And those are your anti-government extremists and your white supremacists and and they're playing with the numbers on that with obviously January 6th and, and other uh, domestic terrorism cases. And as a result, we're having innocent Americans who are getting roped into the the counterterrorism sphere uh, that the FBI is putting out. All right. And so this week we're doing uh, topic number two, it sounds like, from your list. You did a video on that, which people can see on your Twitter profile, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah it's pinned actually on Center for Renewing America's Twitter page as well. So if you want to catch it at the top. Uh, that's that's where it is right now. And every Thursday at noon, we'll be dropping a new video, and it's on all streaming services, YouTube, Rumble, everything, and, and all the social medias out there. So follow Center for Renewing America, uh, whatever your social media platform of choice is, and you will get it. Okay. And then, uh, Ryan, we'll pull up the second one, which is going to be the Federalist article, which you just wrote. I think we've got that one right there. Um, nope, not that one. There's one that just says uh, the FBI won't submit to the legislative authority. It's got a picture. Just dis disarm all FBI agents if we can. Um, let's talk through it, Steve. So you wrote this article for the Federalist. What was the what's the perspective here, and and where did, how did you come to it? Well, it's sort of an idea that I've had percolating in my mind, and I threw it out to Seb Gorka on his show, and he said I need to write uh, a column about it because if I didn't, he would, and he would take credit for it. So that sort of spurred Wait, what did he say? motivation to start typing. And uh, the, the concept that I have is the 1811 
criminal investigator position that the FBI refers to as a special agent. We can eliminate that position and return the FBI to its roots, which they uh, neglected to mention in their celebration of their, their birthday this week, that the FBI wasn't always an armed force. It was a bureau of unarmed investigators. And I think through the budget appropriations, the Congress certainly has the power now. The Republicans are, have the power of the purse strings currently, presently. They can use them to defund armed investigators at the FBI and then also force the agency to partner with local sheriff's offices, tribal police, police departments, get their permission to do an investigation in their area, and then also work with officers from those agencies in the form of task force officers, which there's already a proof of concept because there are task force officers who do work for the FBI. So we would just expand that through the U.S. Marshal Service and then basically make those guys the guns and have to get their consent to effect an arrest. And it's a final bulwark against an out-of-control politicized FBI because now your sheriff, who's more accountable to you, who you elect and can directly get a meeting with if you want it, will be more incentivized to protect you from the FBI should it become politicized. Now, you just mentioned the FBI's fake birthday. You want to get into that a little bit deeper? Yeah, it was. Uh, they were celebrating, what was it, 115 years, 125 years? I can't remember the yeah, number. Yeah, it's made up, but 115. Yeah, um, and the, the origin story of the FBI is that it was not always the Federal Bureau of Investigation. It was a Bureau of Investigation, and for the first couple decades, those guys didn't carry firearms. So it's a little bit of a deception on their part that they've been around in, in their current status. And certainly it's evolved over the years and in more so now into this intelligence agency rather than a law enforcement agency that we see before us. Uh, so I, I think that there's definitely a historical root for disarming the FBI. It's not something like it's never been tried before. And we can go to that and then say, look, if, you, if the FBI wants to claim credit for its years of existence, then it should be willing to go return to how it began. We've seen people online that have actually said, oh, the FBI gets back to its core mission. Well, its core mission was investigating like interstate gangsters and bank robberies. That's how it came into existence. And that's the reason why they got guns, by the way, in 1935. Yeah, they had to confront the uh, the Capone Tommy guns that were just blasting up Chicago. The Chicago typewriter, right? So let me, let me ask you this. Um, when you were sitting at the Academy, which would have been, what, um, nine years 2014. ago? 2014. When you're sitting there and they do what's called the one week, I'm assuming you had a one week where they introduced you to being a federal employee. Did you have something to yes, that Yes, your intro week in the auditorium where you sit there with a suit on. Right. And then they tell you about the history of the FBI. And one of the things they tell you is that in 1908, the Bureau of Investigation was founded and, duh, 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 and it was under Attorney General, what was his name, Bonaparte, I think. And then it mm -hmm. goes forward. And then at some point in time, Hoover gets involved in the 20s and then starts advocating, you know, starts handing out his own guns which I think is amazing, was like literally handing out like like bags of guns to agents so that they had things that they could just grab whatever they were comfortable with. It's uh, the most Kyle Seraphin move ever, by the way. It is kind of a gangster move. But I mean, Hoover was a gangster in addition to being a tranny. So that makes some sense. So you've got this guy doing that move. And then in 1934, they passed the Bank Robbery Act, which allowed the FBI to go after bank robberies. It federalized the crime. And in 1935, the FBI changed its name to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. When you heard that, did you think that they were lying about the number of years the FBI had been in existence, or was I the only one sitting in that auditorium going like, I don't get it? Yeah, I mean, it's a completely different agency with different tools and a different name. I mean, it's not the same agency. It evolved, at least say something to that effect. But it's not. it would be like the Army 
for the first few years was like, well, we were the Boy Scouts and we were doing camping and learning how to sew and tie knots. And then we got tanks. So we're, 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 we're in the army now. And we've always been that. It's a little bit dishonest, I think. And I think that the focus on, uh, on crime and deterring crime and combating crime rather than being this intelligence gathering agency is really the biggest evolution that we've seen. And that's within the last 20 to 25 years. And actually, uh, the other thing that, that was put out this week that I was a part of was this budget th recommendation that Center for Renewing America did. They asked me to give them some historical background on national security and intelligence gathering. And our recommendation was to just pull all the funding from intelligence, zero that out, but also beef up the criminal investigative side of the FBI. And actually, uh, so you're not defunding police, you're providing additional funding. And then overall, the agency would be cut by about 25% of, of its funds. But this, you're putting the money where it actually belongs, where people expect it to go uh, from a historical perspective, from a pop culture perspective, look, the FBI is supposed to be the the police, the federal police or investigative arm, at least of that. And that's not what it's doing. One of the recommendations you put in there is getting rid of what's called law enforcement availability pay, which we do for armed federal agents, which is a 25 percent premium paid to all agents, 14,000 of them, uh, many of whom who don't have to work outside of they're They're not available, per se. Like, do you think you could call your your sack at any given time or your ASAC and expect them to be there at three in the morning at a prison if you had a, somebody die? No, you certainly can't. And uh, when it comes to uh, special agent in charge, Sherry Onks from the Jacksonville field office, who lives 49 miles away from the office. Uh, That's takes one mile hour. inside of the uh, the outer arc. You have to be within 50, don't you? Yes, you have to be within 50, but certainly it's not keeping in the spirit if your commute is over an hour, which I'm sure if she was actually doing her 10-hour workday, she was devoting that hour plus drive each way towards reaching that 10 hour mark. Which she would never do that. That's not in never. policy. She would never do no. that. Unless she I called mean, I'm sure the source. She didn't send an email when she got into her car so that there's an actual digital record of her quote unquote working right. and then or driving for an hour, listening to the Kyle Serafin podcast probably, and then going to work. Looking for uh, for errors with uh, Steve Friend's statement so she could try to file some sort of uh, personal hatred with you. You mentioned the Army uh, earlier, the Boy Scouts and the Army. There actually is a one-to-one -one analogy with what went on in the FBI changing names and, and keeping the original birthday. In 1926, the Army instituted what was known as the Army Air Corps, where they started getting aviation units. They had some, like, you know, some... Uh, single planes, they had small planes, they had some balloons and some other things like that. And that became a full-blown Air Force, which at some point separated away. And that happened in 1947. I believe it's September 18th, if my Air Force history stands. So on September 18th, they dissolved the Army Air Corps, and it became its own branch of the military known as the United States Air Force. And people celebrate the United States Air Force birthday, not in 1926, but September 18th, 1947, the birth of the United States Air Force, the finest fighting Air Force in the world. And so there is a one-to-one -one, uh, lineup with that where you see, oh, okay, that's exactly what you do. You take a new name, you break off from your previous agency, you you take on new responsibilities and tools, you put a new banner up. You don't say uh, under new management, but we claim our original grand opening. You don't get to do that. And, and that's what's so funny to me about the FBI. They should be claiming an 88-year history and they claim 115 because they think that's somehow, I don't know, more reputable. It's bizarre. Isn't it a little bit like a, a sports franchise that picks up and moves to a different city and changes the name of its mascot when then claiming, right, like oh, the yeah, Dodgers. we won a Super Bowl back in the day. When right. We were... When we were the Brooklyn Dodgers, we uh, we won some World Series. And, yeah. And that's... They... 
it's story just not, franchise? It's, it's not logical. It's not really in keeping, I think, with what we expect from them. But I'm, I'm interested. You, I don't. Do you know when the Department of Defense originated? When it claims? Does it claim to be the the War Department ever? I don't know. We should look into this. There's a couple of things. Folks, put it down in the chat. Leave us a comment on the Rumble channel if you, in fact, know if DOD claims it's Department of Wartime or if it uh, it probably does, to be fair. But yeah, they want to take credit to the W for World War II. They don't want to give that. Nobody one wants to give up the W for the WW2. Back to back World War champions. That's right. It's like the Dallas Cowboys of the early 90s. Uh, they were, a, you know, they were a franchise winner. It, it's just, I don't know. I saw that as the original lie. Some of my Quantico classmates and I, the ones who think the way that you and I do, we're looking at that going like, oh, if they're going to lie about their birthday, what other things will they lie about? And you've been a street cop. When someone lies about their birthday and their name, what other things are they lying about usually? Uh, warrants. <laughs> <laughs> things that they did wrong in a criminal way. Yeah, exactly. I, I actually, in my takeaway from that week was the uh, in the video presentation, the first thing they did about welcome to the FBI, they were touting that, there was so much crime, it was rampant. It was like blood running through the streets. And then the era of progressivism came in and we were able to solve it with the FBI. And I remember thinking like, that that's not something you should be taking credit for. That's not a thats not a victory. Progressivism is, is a cancer. Right, it's not the but, win that you think it is. But we're talking about government employees here that basically suckle at the government teat. Many of them have never had a private sector job or worked in another industry. So Yeah, I mean, well, or they're just gonna roll right into big tech at the 17 year mark, uh, just before collecting that pension, they're going to roll in as a, some sort of advisor on election integrity at Facebook or Twitter Thank and God. collect 5X what they were. Yeah, it's disgusting. All right. So speaking of disgusting, Ryan, if you'll queue up video number eight, uh, I think Steve has already seen some of the stuff. I don't know if you were able to get through the whole thing without uh, pitching your lunch in between your shoes. But this is a video that uh, comes from Tom Elliott's Twitter post. I think he did this supercut or put it together. At least he was part of it. And Dan Bongino played a couple minutes of it. He played like the first, I don't know, 90 seconds of it. It's about three and a half minutes long. We'll probably break it in the middle and get a response and then we'll finish it out. So we don't uh, have just uninterrupted, uh, nauseating video co coverage, but, um, let's play this. I'll get your reaction to it. Cause I think it, uh, responds very well to the, what we've experienced in this, uh, whistleblower space. So I'll let you play that whenever you're ready, Ryan. Go ahead and roll it. The attack on the whistleblower um, is, is never wise. It's never lawful. Um, it's never honorable. It's everything you said. It's a travesty. And I'm not going to call them whistleblowers. They don't deserve whistleblower protection. Each and every one of them has a uh, strange history, has, guess what, Russian connections. They always do. These are not, as we would consider them, whistleblowers, people who are alleging wrongdoing. They weren't really whistleblowers at all. In fact, they weren't even credible witnesses. Two or three people who are political operatives, but they're not whistleblowers. These guys are not whistleblowers, period. Is a hardworking, patriotic person in the intelligence community who just wants to put the information out there. The president to call into question the credibility of this whistleblower. They're referring to this whistleblower as the so-called whistleblower. Can you pause it right there for me, Ryan? Okay, so for those of you who are listening to this and you're going, what in the world am I hearing? There is a, a jump back and forth. When you hear about the so-called whistleblowers, they're talking about guys like Steve Friend and me and Garrett O'Boyle and Marcus Allen and um, Gary Shapley, who we just saw testify, and uh, Joseph Ziegler, the, the two guys from the IRS. When they talk about the credible whistleblower, they're talking about 2019, 
the plot to overthrow this president uh, who was Trump at the time. Um, who was that whistleblower and, and how credible was he? Eric Charamella. I'm going to say the name. Don't say I mean, it. He's like Voldemort. It, Voldemort, that he <laughs> must not be named. That was actually the largest temptation that I had when I testified. I wanted to say Eric Charamella so I could get the name on the congressional record and officially have that done by one person. Because he's, he's never been mentioned by name on the record? No, that was the big thing where they were trying to protect his identity. I yeah, think Adam Schiff lost his Rand mind. Paul was, was trying to say it, and they were screaming and then having it stricken from the records. And and then have you ever looked into what happened to that guy afterwards? No, have you? I looked, I don't know, it was a while back, and I think he was probably doing the same thing I'm doing, probably being like a fellow at some think tank. Did he get probably fired making for way more did? money? Yeah, did making he get... sure he landed comfortably? I'm sure. So he's the he's the credible whistleblower. Uh, so that's that's the the thing. That's the mid uh, uh, the what do you call it? Like the half court analysis. This is the uh, the halftime piece of it. Let's finish this video out, and then we'll we'll just reflect in a minute. You want to roll that, Ryan? So-called whistleblower on the Biden family. Welcome back to so-called whistleblower from the so-called whistleblowers. See so-called whistleblowers. So-called whistleblowers. So-called whistleblowers. So-called whistleblower. So-called whistleblower. So-called whistleblowers. Whistleblowers. That's what he's calling them. Whistleblower. Whistle. Whistleblowers. They're alleged IRS whistleblower. The GOP is marketing as whistleblowers. Uh, quote, quote unquote whistleblowers. Jim Jordan, who's the chair of the oversight committee is lauding them as brave americans whistleblower a, a true patriot coming forward with the allegations but that's why the whistleblower is a hero in many ways uh this whistleblower is a hero the whistleblower is a, a public servant and now to stay anonymous let, uh, the heroism is being kind of thrust on this person we can't imply this person is partisan person has been deemed credible and a patriot With great courage to do the right thing the whistleblower did was really patriotic this whistleblower was not alone spiritually. The best composed, best written, best documented uh, such complaint I've ever seen. Thank you, whistleblower. I consider your complaint to be credible and urgent. Do what Donald Trump was doing in going after or targeting the people who helped this, I would say, very brave whistleblower. If you've got an allegation against the Biden family, then come on board because you too can be their next whistleblower. Hunter Biden's right. whistleblower. Right. This whistleblower who is going to just tell us all the horrible things he had been up to. Reappropriating the term whistleblower after doing everything they could endanger the life of the actual whistleblower that led to Donald Trump's first impeachment. The actual whistleblower. The actual whistleblower. On these goose chases by Jim Jordan after these supposed whistleblowers. Been trying to undermine the institutions that holds the powerful accountable. To try to come up with a whistleblower who is viable, a whistleblower who is viable. I hope there are more whistleblowers out there. These folks are sophisticated people inside the White House. What's that, your true patriots? Patriotic and dedicated Americans that this country has. This whistleblower, this is another human being. It is a terrifying prospect to go and try to sound an alarm about the most powerful person in the country. <laughs> the major pillars that prop up the Republican fiction that President Joe Biden and his family are entangled in some sort of criminal enterprise. The first pillar, a so-called whistleblower. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, thanks for that, Ryan. Uh, Ryan's got a video up here, uh, a visual up here, rather. Uh, if you're not watching on our Rumble channel, go to about 22 minutes in and uh, go watch that video for yourself, or you can find it on uh, Tom Elliott's Twitter. And uh, and obviously, it was quoted by Dan Bongino either yesterday or the day before. But uh, fantastic, fantastic little cut up. They all get the same talking points. Where do those come from there, Steve Friend? I don't know. I, I mean, apparently, Ryan J. Riley isn't on those conference calls because he's always like a week or two behind. But right. I, I was really taken aback because that's actually probably the most cable news that I've watched in a decade. Just I, yeah, I never, them. I don't know if I told They're you this, but so untalented and airbrained and the uncomfortable where they were clearly told, make sure you do the air quotes, so-called whistleblower. Right. So you're missing this if you're not watching the videos, but literally four of them are doing air quotes, the hands in the air scare quotes when they say so-called whistleblowers or the quote unquote whistleblowers. Um, how, how are whistleblowers defined? I know you guys had that come up in the hearing. Uh, yeah, Tristan Levitt to try to do a good job of explaining that, uh, you know, he is a whistleblowing attorney who has devoted his life to that and is pretty familiar with the way the law is. And I think we've we've talked about it before and I know you've hammered at home. It's 5 USC 2303. You have to be a government employee with a reasonable concern of waste, fraud, abuse or a risk to the public safety and bring those concerns forward to a list. I believe it's seven uh, potential places that you can bring your information to. Yeah, that sounds and right. That, that includes your frontline supervisors. So if you walk into the boss's office and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm worried about this, that is an actually protected whistleblower disclosure. You don't have to be right. You just have to be reasonable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but have you been even adjudicated to be a whistleblower? Is that a real thing? Like, do you love that part? That makes me want to puke, by the way. All of that stuff makes me nauseated. Really yeah, does. that was the big the big talking point during the, the congressional hearing. That like we the were FBI adjudicated. didn't say he's a whistleblower. Like the FBI somehow has... It's like the government yeah, well, investigated the government. Stunner, stunner. The FBI investigated the FBI and found that the FBI did nothing wrong. <laughs> That's the uh, that is the entire headline for the last couple of years. Pretty shocking. Uh, also, in real time, we got a fact check from uh, Ryan Matta. He said the Department of Defense, the DOD, was established August tenth, nineteen forty nine, as an executive okay. agency under the well, Secretary I mean, of hey, Defense. I stand corrected. I let, let it not be said that I will not admit that I was wrong. I'm surprised because I would think you'd want credit for the last actual military victory that's on record. Everything else has been uh, that was under really the War Department. War. The war was exporting violence. The Department of Defense has got a new mission. They are going to pretend like they are not exporting violence, and they are now uh, sort of euphemistically named. Amusingly, I feel like the Department of Defense is what Homeland Security should be. Homeland Security should not exist. It should be called the Department of Defense, and then we should have a Department of War. I think uh, truth and naming would be a really good convention for this country. A little bit of honesty would go a long ways. It would uh, it would help hide some things, but that's not the world we live in. Agree with you. Under a President Friend administration, Kyle Zerofin shall be my Secretary of War. <laughs> I'm not even sure that's the right answer. However, I love the uh, I love the instinct of it. Uh, Steve, warheads on foreheads, man. Warheads on foreheads. That is that is what I signed up to go do. That was my that was my dream job. Uh, tell people where they can find you, follow you, and uh, what they should be doing. Uh, how your book sales and everything else. Just send it out there. Yep, uh, Twitter at real Steve Friend. Despite the uh, weekly censors, they kept pulling me back down, and they just crossed over thirty-seven thousand this week. I was very excited. I don't know if you get a set of steak knives or something because they were trying set really hard knives. to prevent that. Uh, I'm at True Social at real underscore Steve Friend, and you can 
find a link to my book on Amazon on both of those social medias. The book is called True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower. It is a bestseller on Amazon under the law enforcement category. And uh, I've been doing really well. been doing actually some events where people are coming out and buying it. I had to uh, purchase uh, several hundred books and been doing signed copies for folks as, uh, as I've done some speaking engagements recently and will continue to do so over the next couple of months. My man, I appreciate you joining me on Fridays. I know people love hearing the updates from you. Uh, we'll do it again real soon. I hope you have a fantastic afternoon and a good weekend, buddy. You too. Thanks, sir. All right. We'll say bye to Steve, friend. We're going to pivot over to the geriocracy and let's get into what kind of ugly stuff is going on. Uh, Ryan, if you want to bring up, let's see what topic this is. I think it's topic number two. Congress is old, folks. And interestingly enough, we're seeing here from the Pew Research Center that the House has got a little bit younger. It's relative. I'm going to tell you that right up front. And the Senate got older. This is going to be a look at the age and generation of lawmakers in the 118th Congress, which is where we are today. This article goes back to January of 2023. So we don't break news here. We want to make make the, uh, the understanding of the news available to you. And so when we look at this thing, it says the median voting age of House lawmakers is 57.9 years. And that's down one year, essentially. So they are one year younger. Uh, by median uh, from the 117th Congress, and that we it was 58, so roughly the same as it was in the 116th. There was just a slight uptick in 117th, and um, it's a little bit lower than 115. So they've been hovering around this 58, 59 year median voting age for House lawmakers. When we talk about the Senate, it's on it's on the way up, and it is 65.3 years is the median there. 65.3 years, the age of retirement for most people in America or at least uh, used to be. And that is up a slight bit, maybe a half year from the previous, which was 64.8. So again, just roughly in that age bracket. But the Senate always tends to be a little bit older by about five years on, on average, what we're seeing here. So those are the median ages. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You've got some experience. There's definitely something there. However, the bad thing, I think, in this country is that people stick around in these jobs forever. They stay there Forever. We have lawmakers that have done 40 and 50 years. This is actually not that incredible at this point, um, but it hasn't always been this way. If we'll pull up the uh, the article, which is under topic number three, it says, you know, essentially Congress is older than ever, but it hasn't been this way. This is from NPR, folks. NPR sees this as a strange thing. This was written in November of last year, November of 2022, uh, talking about how Chuck Grassley is really old. He's going to be 95 when he's up for, quote unquote, reelection if, if he makes it that far. And I think we have a little video that's going to show us that that's kind of crazy. Uh, the Speaker of the House at that point in time was Nancy Pelosi, who is 82. She's 83 or close to 83 right now. Senate uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, which is what this all sparked from. Many of us saw him do a hard reboot on national television, on live television. And that's pretty troubling to watch. So they're saying that essentially 25% of members of Congress on both houses are over the age of 70 years old. One in four Congressman is over 70. And I'm going to tell you why I think that's a problem. Uh, first, I want to pull up one of the videos. Let's do a video of Dianne Feinstein. This is going to be video number one, Ryan, if you want to cue that sucker up. And what we're going to be seeing here is a hot mic of the aide sitting next to Feinstein talking. Uh, let's just run it. I think it speaks for itself. You want to roll, roll that video. Senator Feinstein. Um, say I. Pardon me? I. Yeah. Uh, to say. I, I would like to support a yes vote on this. Um, it provides 823 billion 
That's an increase of $26 billion for the Department of Defense. And it funds priorities submitted. Yeah, just say aye. Okay, just aye. <laughs> Thank you. That is really hard to watch for some of us. So that was Diane Feinstein, one of the oldest members of the of the Senate. And she is being told over and over again that the thing that she is doing right now is voting. And that comes in the form of either an I or a nay. That's how it goes. They've already given the speeches. They've already given the support. They've already spoken out. She had it written on her paper. She could not pivot to what was being asked of her. And therefore, she wanted to read her statement maybe again. I'd, I'd love to see if she wrote, read that for a second time. The thing that went viral was the fact that there are people next to her just telling her what to do. And she can't even take that direction because she's so confused about where she is because, you know, she's ancient. And, and that's the saddest thing about it. For me, I think it's elderly abuse. For me, I think it is abusive to the system. It's these people that cling on. And, and, and this is not isolated with only people that are in Congress. There's a lot of people that cling to these federal jobs way longer than they ought to. I think uh, Anthony Fauci is one of those people. They cannot let it go because it's the, it's the identity that they have. And it also, it gives them meaning in their life that they forgot to cultivate otherwise. And that's why I think that it's so important. That's why I love the, the the stuff that Catholic Vote says, faith, family, and freedom. What is it about? It's about those things. If you don't have faith, if you don't have family, who cares what you do with the rest of your time? You have nothing to, to invest in. It's why I think that this country was built on families. It's built on the middle class dream. The American dream is basically uh, finding a spouse, making children for the next generation, creating a home where you can raise them that is safe. The white picket fence is all of that. That tells you about good and orderly homes. You know, you can look at a fence oftentimes and decide a lot about what the house is that's going on. You can look at the exterior of the house and know what it looks like on the inside. Not every time, book, you know, judging a book by its cover, but many times you can drive up to a house, look at the yard, look at what's going on in it, and you can have a pretty good idea of how ordered or disordered that household is. And in the same way, we're seeing these people that have basically forgotten to tend the garden, have forgotten to mow the lawn, have forgotten to take care of the external house, and now they're sitting at almost 90 years old or older and they're sitting there in front of Congress having young people tell them what to do. They are a figurehead and they are holding the spot and uh, they have no reason to be there. Uh, we had in the chat just a second ago, Glitch McConnell with a rumble rant. So very funny and love that. I think that's uh, that's a reasonable trend. I'm looking at this, uh, this, this webpage called Fiscal Note, which I don't know if we put that up here or not. In fact, we did. It's topic number four. You can pull up Fiscal Note. And it's also talking about the age of members of Congress. There's some pretty interesting graphics. And what it says is that we have a very, very small number, um, the two smallest numbers in the House. In fact, the actual smallest distribution in the Senate is 30 to 39. And those are almost half as many as the people that are over the age of 80. That should absolutely be the strangest and least likely thing that you ever find. Uh, the senator from Iowa, 89 years old. Dianne Feinstein, 89 years old. Vermont, Bernie Sanders, 81 years old. He's still out there, by the way, Bernie Sanders. Uh, Kentucky. Mitch McConnell, 80 years old. And I'm happy to dish it out to either side. I don't care if you're an independent, a Republican, or a Democrat. If you were 80 years old, what in the in the world are you doing there? You know, and, and the sad thing was is that uh, Ryan and I were having this conversation earlier. We were talking about the idea that if, if you're over that age and you hear these people talk all the time, they were like, my grandmother made it to 90 years old or 96 years old, and she was still sharp as a whip, and she was spot on. And the answer is always the same. Yes compared to people her age, but not compared to a 25-year-old or a 35-year-old 
or somebody that is in the prime of what they're doing. There's a reason why none of the best math, you know, best mathematicians in the world are cracking cracking the uh, the secrets to the universe in their 90s. And it's not because they're not smart. It's because we actually have a scientifically proven cognitive decline that happens after the age of 70. That's kind of the age of consensus. So we'll get into that in just a second here. But it makes me really sad that we've given this country over to people that I, what I like to say is that their biological imperative is not there. They don't have young that they are trying to protect and cultivate this country better for. And that's why I think that we need to have, I don't care about term limits nearly as much as I care about age limits on the upper end. There is a time when you no longer uh, have skin in the game. And for the person themselves, if you don't have the wherewithal to walk away from the game of politics when you are at 70 years old and enjoy what's out there in the world, become an older statesman, become a font of, of knowledge and wisdom, give speeches if that's what you really want to do. If you still want to be involved in the game, you know, step out of it and help the people that are younger understand, become a professor emeritus somewhere, give lectures. I don't care. Share that experience in a way that's meaningful. Get off the front lines of the the horrific back and forth to congressional districts, the flying around, like all of that has to degrade you. And it doesn't sound like it's good for your family, and that makes it bad for the rest of America. If it's bad for your family and it's bad for your for your livelihood as a human being, you are you are literally just holding on for dear life to something that made you relevant. And these people, they need to cultivate their lives outside of it. It's bizarre. I just wish they would change that. I don't want to be ruled by people who are over the age of 70. And right now, we definitely are. Let me look at uh, our next piece here. Uh, topic number five, what do we have here? That was the oldest. Oh yeah, so this is a great article. This comes from oldest.org, by the way, very interesting. I'm gonna read you the oldest members um, in the US Congress as updated in 2023, okay? And here it is. The the 10th oldest is Danny K. Davis. He was born in 1941. He's been serving um, since January of 97, okay? And he's a Democrat. Number nine, Jim Clyburn. He's been serving since January of 93. He's 82 years, almost 83 years old. Okay. Born in 1940. Then we've got Nancy Pelosi. We all know she's been serving since 1987. Okay. So she's slightly young. She's actually older than those two. She's 82, almost 83 years old in this thing and uh, serving since 87. She's been there forever. Uh, my dad had a really great story, by the way, the other day we were talking on the phone and my dad tells me that she used to call into the radio station because he used to run a large news station in the uh, the Bay Area where she first, you know, she's been a, a representative there for a very long time. And they would, she would call in to make some sort of partisan statement and they would just not turn on the recorder. And so she would just ramble into the phone and they'd say, thanks so much. And then they'd hang up and they'd never play it, which is kind of funny stuff. Um, Steiny Hoyer, number seven, born in 1939, older than any of these yet, elected in 1981. He has been in in Congress since before I was born, representing the state of Maryland as a Democrat. Maxine Waters, we know her, been in since 91. She's almost 85 years old. Hal Rogers, never heard this name. Obviously, uh, he's a Republican, but he's from Kentucky, kind of one of the guys who's flying on the back burner, also been in since 81, and he's 85 years old. I just want you to have it in your head. He was born in 1937. Just think about this. This guy for, you know, might be sharp as attack for a guy who's in his 80s. But is he sharp as attack as a guy like Matt Gates, who's out there running it down? Like, maybe this is why we're seeing such weak hearings. And we do have a video to show some of that. Um, we've got a Democrat here from New Jersey. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Bill Pascrell looks like, and he was born in 1937. He's 86. Um, and we're just getting older and older. Grace Napolitano, California Democrat, elected in 99, still going. 
23 years later, 24 years later, Chuck Grassley, elected in January of 81. Um, and he started in the House of Representatives in 1975. So since 1975, and he's almost 90 years old, 89 and change. All right. And then the number one oldest one is Diane Feinstein, who we just heard in that video. Um, Ryan, if you'll run, because we're equal opportunity here, if you'll run the video that I've got set up, and that is going to be the uh, the McConnell video. I think this is the thing that kicked it all off. That's video number two. Folks, just watch this and you tell me if this is okay. If this is the people that you think should be running our country. Go ahead and run that. Bipartisan cooperation and a string of... Uh... That dead air is a video showing Mitch McConnell with his mouth closed, if you're listening right now. He's just swaying at a podium. Okay, Mitch. Anything else you want to say? Should just go back here? You want to say anything else to the press? And now he just sort of waddles right. off. And they're very, you know, you should be concerned about this. This is the the same situation that you would find out if somebody had just literally collapsed on camera. I found I found some videos of that. There was a governor that did that in in, uh, in Minnesota five years ago. Was talking, was slurring, got more and more confused, and then just fell at the podium. So that's a possibility that can happen. In this case, the likelihood of like a TIA or a tr trans ischemic attack, which is like what people always call a mini stroke, but it's a it's when blood is blocked to a certain part of your brain. I made a comment the other day on a Twitter space, and I think it holds true. The When you have people that are over the age of 70, and some of these people do not look like they are in, in great health, uh, I always kind of brag about my dad. I feel like it's an 80s claim to say, like, my dad could beat up your dad, but I think my dad could beat up many of your dads. <laughs> and so, Charlie, if you're listening, I, I, I have so much respect for my dad's physicality at the age that he's at. But my dad doesn't need to be, you know, fighting people in their 40s. He goes out and fights uh, brambles and bushes, and he's and he's incredibly tough. And he goes out and runs a chainsaw for eight hours in the desert. And I don't even see him bring water out with him. Uh, a madman in many ways. But you look at these guys and they've been indoor dogs for as long as they have. And they're they're shiny skinned and they're, they're you know, unexposed to the exterior. And they're not doing hard work like men historically did. And I'm specifically talking about men here. But we had the same situation happen with Dianne Feinstein where she had a catastrophic um, accident of some kind. And we see her in a wheelchair walling around. She looks she looks just absolutely destroyed as a human being. She's just wrecked. And, and so some of these people are 20, 30 millimeters of mercury away from not being on the planet. If you don't know how we measure blood pressure, that would be a, a difficult thing for you to understand. But we, you know, you hear like, what's a good blood pressure? 120 over 80. And, and that means those are 120 millimeters of mercury. It's a, it's a, a, measure, a measure of pressure. You, you break it outside of their normal range 20, 30 uh, millimeters of mercury. And we could have a, what would call uh, either a uh, hemorrhagic stroke or, you know, they start stroking out somewhere else and blood doesn't get up to their brain. The, you could break a blood vessel and that would be the end of them. And all of our, our systems are weaker and less capable at the ages uh, over 70. So I'm going to bring up this next uh, this next article. It's a scientific article written um, at the National Institute of Health. It's topic number six, if you would. And this is the impact of um, the age on cognition. Yeah, uh, step it back just one step, seven second for me if you would ryan the uh the the age piece there so there's these scientific articles that have been written for a long time this one was dated in 2015 that i'm looking at um and we'll bring it up at some point here but it doesn't matter too much there's there's this change that happens at about 50 years of age 
And what they were doing is they were measuring crystallized abilities, which is known as vocabulary, and then fluid abilities, like your basic raw processing speed. And those things change at about 50 years old on the average. So crystallized abilities like vocabulary starts going hot. There it is. It goes a little bit further north of the, of the curve before 50. And it kind of tops and kind of uh, breaks out. So the ability to speak certain words and and have a a larger vocabulary kind of peaks uh, in the mid 40s and then kind of uh, flatlines. But the ability to process information peaks in the 20s and slowly, slowly, slowly declines to an average of about 55 years old and drops precipitously between 60 and 70 years old. And at 80, it is in a, in a free fall going at least one standard deviation below the mean. So that's what this particular graph was showing. That's what I'm looking at here. These scientific studies are being done. Uh, they're aggregate studies. They are large and large form studies to try to get an idea of when does that happen and why does it happen? And so the next article that comes up here, which I think we have underneath uh, cognitive decline uh, maybe topic number nine, it, it, there's all these little like aggregate studies. So they grab all these pieces. That's perfect right there. And what this one that comes from what you're seeing on the screen right now comes from one, when does age related cognitive decline begin? So there's this question about when do we stop having it? It's a 2010 study. So again, not new, but it's multiple studies from O2 from 1988, from 1985, from 2005, from 1989. All these studies come together. I'm going to read you a couple of quotes. Cognitive decline may begin after midlife, but most often occurs at higher ages, 70 or more. Relative decline in performance occurs in people uh, until they are about 50 years old. There's another thing here saying cognitive abilities generally remain stable throughout the adult life until about 60 years old. Uh, there's little or no drop off in performance before age 55. There's a reason why we retire when we do. Um, some of it is because people have been able to hopefully work long enough to put money away. And the other reason is because you are going to be run circles around by younger people in very high performing and demanding jobs. And I would imagine being in charge of Congress has to be one of those things. Uh, last little quote here from 89, this study uh, says, most abilities tend to peak early in midlife. They plateau until the late 50s or 60s and then show decline initially at a slow place, but accelerating as late as the late 70s are reached. So all these people that we are seeing that are falling apart and they are falling apart, there's no question about it. They're falling apart because of a natural progression, a reduction in white matter, which starts happening around 70 years old. And it's nothing against them. I don't, I don't have any beef again. It's not a personal attack to cite that biology exists in the same way. It's not a personal attack to say that you could be a man or a woman. I just, it's, it's so bizarre. If you'll play the, uh, the video here, which was, uh, let's see, I think it is video number three. This is Mitch McConnell. I just want you to focus on not Mitch McConnell rather. This is, um, this is Chuck Grassley. Look at what he's doing. And then con consider the way Matt Gase handles things. If you want to roll that video right now, just watch his eyes. He's staring directly at a piece of paper and he's reading it verbatim. First question is a follow-up to a line of questioning you had with Senator Cotton. Uh, you told this committee that, quote, the executive branch cannot simply decide based on policy disagreements that it will not enforce a law at all, end of quote. Then you released a December 16th, uh, 22 uh, memo uh, instructing prosecutors to disregard the law that established sentencing differences between cocaine and cocaine base. Your decision not to enforce the law ended congressional discussions at that particular point uh, for a compromise. If a DOJ uh, claims that it will ignore the law by declining to prosecute a law that grew out of a bipartisan compromise forged in this committee, it's hard to see how members uh, can trust the department about uh, following any further bipartisan deals. 
So I'm going to ask you, would you withdraw your memo so that a meaningful legislative discussion can resume? And if you don't have a, a agreement with me, uh, why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> so there you go. He finally looks up after he asks his question. That's all we've got. I see you in the chat are, are, are uh, getting rowdy about whether or not you love Chuck Grassley. I don't care if you love Chuck Grassley. I don't want a 90-year-old man from any party being out there. He's in the he's in the seat. He's not going anywhere. He's going to be there for years. We need to stop electing people that are this old. Whether they you think they're sharp or not, whether you think they're on our team or not, this has to be a bipartisan discussion. And here's why. So we've got a graph up right now. I also hear that we have over 700 people that are watching in the live chat right now. So please, if you're sitting in there, hit that thumbs up, hit that like uh, that should turn green on Rumble and that it moves our videos up in the ranking, which we really do appreciate. So this graph right now shows us going back to 1950, maybe a little bit before 1950. And it shows us the average age of members of Congress. And this is going to be relevant for a reason. The younger it is, the better off we are able to tackle the problems we have, like what we're looking at in our country right now. We have maximum inflation. We are watching the interest rates going up to a level that are going to be probably clearing 8% for home loans. We have these inflated property prices where houses cost 150% more than they did just a couple of years ago. It is pricing people out of the market. And we've done this all before. We did this in the uh, in the 80s when Reagan came in. So if you're looking at the graph on the screen, what you're seeing is that the average age of Republicans, Democrats hovered in the mid 50s, starting in 1947. It started slightly climbing, and it actually started declining um, in the early 60s. And it went down and down, and it continued to decline post-JFK all the way to Reagan, where we had 1980, the lowest number, where we had the average age of Republicans in Congress was below 50 years old. It looks like it's about 48 on the graph. And the members of Democrats were only 50 or 51. Same story. Since that time, there has been a basically a straight line climbing upwards. It continues to climb up to where we have this this over 60 years and over 55 years old. And, and this only goes up to 200, uh, 2013 in this particular graph. OK, so we're talking about a, uh, a seven years ago. Actually, that's 10 years old now. And that data continued to climb. We are now over 58 years old in one, as we said, and over 65 in the other. The It is not a good sign of health. And you can look at the way things looked in the early 80s and the way that we were able to take reforms and bite the bullet and handle things. When you have young people that are in office, they can be bold. And when you have old people, they cannot be because old people are by their very nature, like they have to be a little bit more cautious. Everything is more dangerous. Look at our President Joe Biden falling over a sandbag. The man is threatened by wind, stairs, sandbags. You know, anybody could fall over. But the difference for him and us, him falling over on a bicycle could end his life. We have to be very clear about that. That is not a position of strength. And I don't care what party he's in. I'm not real crazy about anybody that age, and that includes Donald Trump, although he seems awfully uh, much more virile than he was. Listen to him in the 90s. The guy is much sharper in the 90s. So that's a tough line for us to look at. And it doesn't matter if you love Trump, if you if you hate Biden, that you know they're both in that senior category, and there's a reason why we don't do that. I'm going to have one more thing pop up here. Let me look at uh, what number we had. The, uh, the age of the founding fathers. If you'll go to topic number 10, there is a, uh, a, an interesting website called teachingamericanhistory.org. Uh, in 1787, during the Con Constitutional Convention, the Constitutional Convention was held in Philadelphia, the average age of the delegates was 42 years old. 42 years old was the average age. Now, they had a couple of people that were outside of that span, but there were delegates there in their 20s. The delegates from New Jersey, Maryland, North Carolina, and South Carolina were all between the ages of 26 and 29 years old. 
Okay, that's pretty relevant. You had people that were in their 30s, which was a big block of it, and a huge block of it in their 40s. The number of people that were over 50 was like a third or less. We had people like um, Benjamin Franklin and uh, Roger Sherman. These guys were in their advanced age. But Benjamin Franklin actually dragged that number up dramatically. Okay, He dragged it up so high because he was 81 years old and the next oldest person was 66. Those were the two oldest people at the Constitutional Convention that broke away and created the document that we live under today. I think it's really, really important to note that most of the people that were signing that document were under the age of 50. And the number of people that were even in their 50s is the bulk of the people that were over 50. We had less than, I can count them out right now, one, two, three, four, five. There were eight people at the Constitutional Convention that were over the age of 60. Okay? Eight people. So that should tell you something about the age uh, of boldness. And the age of boldness is significantly younger than what we're seeing right now. It bothers me, and then you end up with people that are trying to defend a legacy because they don't have enough time in their in their bucket that their legacy is going to be this political thing. That's why we have people like Kareem, uh, Kareem Jean-Pierre out there lying to us about how everything is better off. We had some other stuff on here. I have some other videos. We've got uh, Mehdi Hassan, who's out there trying to say that the Biden economy is brilliant and amazing, but they cherry-pick facts. They have to lie. That's what all politicians need to do in order to sell you the bill of goods, that they are the best. But the real problem for me is that they are selling you a bill of goods because they don't have any other time to live out their days in something like this is the last hurrah. And their last hurrah, sadly enough, is in politics. Geriocracy is real. We need to all agree uh, that this is not the people we need leading. And let these people go home and live their golden years in places where they can be the senior statesmen that used to exist. They can be advisory only. And that would be fantastic. So consider this. The expiration date is 2024. It's actually going to end up being 2026 for the Senate race. We're going to have to primary some of these people that have been in there. And anybody who comes out like uh, John Corning did and say that uh, Mitch McConnell is sharp as attack and he's good to go when he had a hard reboot, a control-all-delete moment on national television, I don't know what they're thinking, but I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with these people running the most powerful republic that's ever existed. And there are a reason why we are declining right now, I think, um, as they cognitively decline. Sad enough. All right, that's enough on the rant. Let me uh, let me pivot over here and just say some thank yous. First of all, thank you for joining us today. If you have been doing it, we, we stream this show live Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from Liberty Hill, Texas. Oh, we are the most quoted podcast by congressional Democrats, including those who think that we are so-called whistleblowers in this session of Congress, the 118th, and we are the most watched podcast by the FBI security division. So thanks for making us all those things. Uh, thanks for listening to us. It scares them, and we do appreciate it. If you're watching this video, like I said, scroll down, hit that thumbs up until it says it's green. We saw some uh, plenty of faces in the chat today that are going after it. Saw Van Halen. I haven't seen you before, so welcome to the chat, and we do appreciate it. Uh, a couple of familiar faces out there. Folks, we don't have to agree on everything, but we should look at the problem set and be honest about it. Sometimes we are uh, encouraging those that we like, even though they're in the problem set. All right. Uh, lastly, if you're listening on audio and you want to join us on the video chat, you can join us rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Share the link today's show. You can put it on your favorite social media platforms by hitting the share button on Rumble. You can also share it whether you're on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, on those audios and send it over to a friend. Uh, we have a couple people to thank. The first one is you. Thanks for listening. And we want to say we thank because uh, these five-star reviews continue to grow. We're now well over uh, 615. And so the five-star review from today comes from our very own moderator, Eric Jason, a podcast on fire. Five-star review. Anyone who's been watching the show can see and hear the difference that Ryan Matta's efforts are making. 100% that is the case. Thanks so much to Ryan. The video plays interrupted. We have different angles and headshots to give the, the show a unique look and perspective. And it makes you feel as if Kyle is speaking directly to you. 
Uh, Eric, I do feel like I'm speaking directly to you, my friend. The audio quality is better. It plays louder. It's smooth and zero lag. A big shout out and thanks to Casey Serafin, who's got the intro music. We all love the sound and it pumps us up to get ready for the showdown. You've single-handedly given the Suspendables our very own warm-up music. This entire show is made for us. Thank you, Kyle, Casey, and Ryan. Thank you, Eric. We do appreciate you sitting in there. I uh, I look for your face every morning. We'd be concerned if you weren't there. So add your uh, five-star review, including if you're Steve Friend's mom, and we will read it on the show. We are grateful for you guys to continue to put those things in. The link is in the show notes. You can just scroll down and find it. And our show is made possible, again, by the hard work and the skill of Ryan Matta, who you can follow at Ryan Matta Media, M-A-T-T-A. You can also see him on LFA TV for his afternoon show. Again, that opening theme performed by my brother, the talented Casey Serafin. Folks, we look forward to seeing you again. Uh, Have a great weekend. We will see you again on Monday, and um, we'll bring the fire again. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash kyleserafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and Truth Social at Kyle Serafin.